We now um, have the pleasure of introducing our next speaker, which is Yosef. Um, Yosef works for the SAS Institute and has a computer systems engineering background. So I would love to hear his thoughts on my, um, on my presentation around professionalism. And um, Yusuf will be touching on um, telcos and the convergence and opportunities that it brings for us. Thank you so much, Yusuf. Thank you, Ashley, for the introduction. And um, I'm Yusuf. I work for a company called SAS Institute, a software company. Um, I'm sure actuaries and, and statisticians know SAS better than what I do. Um, my discussion or my presentation is based on my work as an account executive in the um, for a telco um, uh, over the past few years and um, to answer Ashley's question about do data scientists and actuaries have a job in the future yes you do a lot depends on on, on what you guys can do and and, and perspective um, I've chosen my theme um, and I've kind of linked it into neurons synapses and and the brain um, but that's the only time I'm going to be mentioning neurons, synapses, and the brain. Um, and the reason why I've made this correlation or this link is because um, the telecommunications network, uh, the global telecommunications network, functions the way that a new, um, um, the nerve system inside of your body works, connected to a brain, where your brain is the central data source or the big data environment. Um, the GSM network, as we know, started out with voice, mobile, and uh, um, text messages. And what we've seen over the past significant um, latter part of, of um, well, I lie, over the past 10 to 12 years is the decline in voice and the increase in data. So technology, um, and specifically the smartphone itself, has allowed people to interface with data more, um, more easily. Um, which means the reason why mobile telecommunications came about was to deliver um, um, the ability for you to talk on a phone without being cabled um, has moved away and we moved into the era of the internet. With, uh, with the growth of the internet, what we've seen is that, um, and, and this is the International Telecommunications Union, they've um, released figures that at least 96% of the global population is somehow close to um, cell phone towers or to have access to, um, access to the internet. By the end of last year, more than half of the population of the world is connected to the internet. That's almost 4 billion people. With the largest uptake in um, in, in, in Africa, um, where Africa is a little bit strange, where almost 15 years ago there were only 2.1% of the entire continent connected to the internet. Right now we have 24, 24.4% of the population connected to the internet. That's, that's significant. So we've seen a significant investment in government um, as well as um, a private. Um, um, telco companies in ensuring that the planet or the continent is connected. But this has given access to so much more than just um, communications. It's allowed access to other services. So one of the interesting facts that I read is that um, people receive better cell phone coverage than they do health coverage in Africa. But therein is the opportunity, right? 
if you have someone who has access to you um, through the internet, you are able to give them more services. So hopefully through the next few slides you'll be able to understand how I'm linking it all together. An area where telecommunications companies have um, provided a lot of benefit to the world and you may not have realized it is in offering cloud services. So they've got a um, networks terminate at the telco. So they've been able to give you a data center. So small companies, instead of investing in infrastructure and in hardware and services, are able to rent services um, from telco, telecommunications companies. And these have been very traditional um, services. So the services they offer would be security, so antivirus, uh, firewalls. Um, but they'll also be able to give you, which was the first, I don't know if any of you uh, remember Blackberry, um, a room that was the first um, convergence of um, of the tel uh, of the telco. So it was the ability to lift where your email sits and have it available to you anywhere. The from the movement into telco has been what I would like to think one of the largest disruptors over the past. Um, well, actually, it's not a disruptor; it's an evolution of the network into the fifth uh, generation. Um, this is probably going to be an area where a lot of telcos are going to be spending a lot of their capex over the, uh, over the next few years. And it's while they hybrid from 3G, 4G um, into 5G. So we've had, just to repeat my earlier slides, it was the first convergence of moving data, uh, moving your mobile phone from voice and text into the internet. It was the convergence of the internet into a data center where telcos were able to give services, so as a service uh, offerings. And now the next part, which is um, 5G, kind of takes the network and blows it up significantly. It allows for multiple services to be tiered across a singular pipe and allows access, for, um, uh, allows access to information and, uh, um, and services. You will note that um, the investment is going to be substantial. It is estimated that $2.7 trillion will be spent by next year on 5G. I'm not sure to talk about policies in China and Hawaii and the US. I want everyone in the room to understand the investment from a technical perspective that needs to happen. One of the other reasons why 5G has not rolled out as fast as it should have is because there's a lot of unknowns. Um, one of the unknowns is um, an impact to our health. 5G has low frequency and has got certain restrictions, meaning it cannot traverse between concrete walls or even people. So um, we need to understand what the frequency impact would be on the human itself, especially if we're going to have a deluge of antennas in built-up areas. Consider Santon, which would probably have one of the highest 5G throughputs if we had to look at it statistically. What that would mean is that most of us would be, have radiation dripping off us. No, we won't have radiation. Glad people are joking. So if we had to compare what 4G and 5G means to us, 5G, um, it, it has certain um, challenges. 
um, that I mentioned the challenges that industry would need to understand, but it also need has challenges that government um, would need to um, allow for. The spectrum that 5G uses is quite varied, so we need to allocate how we slice the spectrum for different industries. For instance, how would a, um, a hospital chain use 5G more effectively to, con to connect all of their um, uh, internet devices? What you wouldn't want is your media company um, streaming um, massive amounts of sports or Olympics or whatever the case may be and use the same frequency or the slice that uh, a hospital chain would do. Um, you'd have a goal and then you'd have a heart attack. Bad jokes, sorry. Um, we all know what the use cases of 5G would be because there's been a lot of um, marketing around it. So uh, it's focused on the healthcare sector, focused on education, focused on consumer, focused on retail. But like I said before, one of the th um, there still needs to be a standardization. Um, right now, even the European Union has not um, understood what the standardization for 5G would be and how we would um, be able to, to, um, to slice networks or separate uh, various industries. Um, it also brings up important questions around net neutrality, so the involvement of governments in information. Um, Ashley spoke earlier about uh, the protection of information and data governance. Again, this is one of the areas where I believe if every device on, in, is connected to the internet, that means every device is vulnerable to some sort of hack, regardless of what, um, um, regardless of the security around it. Um, so we need to understand that if we are going to be moving to this IoT world, um, we need to have certain um, um, restrictions and controls around it, especially from a security point of view. Um, I would assume that my audience is made up with uh, a lot of representatives from financial um, institutions. The next convergence that uh, um, the mobile operator um, has delved into, so the convergence of industry, is in um, financial services. So financial services, the telcos were offering um, the ability to do payments and transfers um, across the planet faster than what any bank would have done. So it's kind of moving a cell in one spreadsheet and moving it to another cell uh, in another spreadsheet. So what that was is taking time from your airtime, so a dollar-based value, and moving it across and shifting it to someone else. Right? So that was the first convergence that they did. But you'll notice the market potential for it, so specifically in, 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 in Africa. The use of mobile phones, and specifically for financial services on top of mobile phones, has given access to... Um, has given access to um, the continent of Africa, um, where we've got African problems. Um, so people in cities, migrant workers that needed to move funds to um, family members in rural areas. Last year alone, there was about $1.3 billion transacted across uh, mobile phones, and that's peer-to-peer -peer transfers, e-wallet transfers, which is significant. So banks always talk about getting the unbanked. It's not about getting the unbanked. It's about giving services, financial services, to those that traditionally did not have it. And I'd like to pause there and just consider a point. Would we need financial services in the future? Um, and when I say I don't mean the super rich or us having banks or investments or anything like that, but if you had to look at um, the way that um, a country would need to develop itself by giving access for people to move and control their money is the first um, power that you can hand over to someone. 
um, which means they're in control of their funds and are able to do with it what they, what they, what they please. One of the other interesting statistics about, um, about mobile money is that um, there are more registered accounts on mobile um, operators and e-wallets than there are on account holders and traditional banks in Africa. And it goes to, I don't know if any of you have traveled up into other um, upper African countries, but a tradition um, is to have more than one cell phone with more than one operator that you're connected to. So um, I'm not saying that there's 300 million people out there that have mobile wallets, but uh, at least um, a significant portion of those um, have uh, multiple wallets across multiple um, um, telco operators. Um, the service is expanding. So Rogers, I spoke about the African problem, but Rogers is a Canadian telco, and they've been offering mobile wallet and mobile transfers as well. In fact, um, the business model that they developed it on was the one that Vodacom and Mpesa built in, in Kenya um, in the 2000s. But now what they're doing is they're offering credit cards, actual plastic and digital credit cards on your, on your mobile device. Um, so this uh, uh, um, separation of the bank and credit card companies from where your finance is, is um, not just a, a problem for developing countries um, to solve, but it's uh, something that developed countries are looking at and seeing other revenue, uh, um, um, revenue potential for them. So a telco is going to be offering credit. Where they're going to be basing what the value is, that's, um, I mean, that's up for them to decide. In, uh, in Africa, we should be proud that we've got um, organizations like, uh, like MTN. Uh, we, MTN, have been launching financial service products beyond um, uh, payments and, and wallets. So what they've been doing is they've been offering life insurance and insurance policies, so they partner with insurance companies, um, and they are offering, as part of your airtime package, um, the, uh, a, a percentage of that goes to a premium to a life um, or a healthcare premium. So MTN Uganda has piloted a, um, a healthcare facility um, where you go out and you buy um, um, airtime. Of that airtime, a percentage goes towards a, a healthcare facility. So I could be able to cash in and go to a hospital and get uh, medication or, um, um, or even just to see a, a, a doctor. But then there's a big bad blue boy in the, in the room, um, Mr. Zuckerberg and his, um, um, and his cryptocurrency on Facebook. Um, so that's a, a currency on a social page where I can purchase things. And it kind of takes the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency conversation and pushes it into a virtual, um, a, a, the virtual stratosphere. Um, there was that game a couple of years ago, um, um, virtual world or whatever it was called, where they had e-money, where they could go out and purchase things. And what was happening is people take real money and pump it into a game and then buy fake things and they thought they were rich. And now it's kind of the other way around where you could go out and you can go into a social media um, platform and I could do a transaction with someone. So if you were renting a flat, um, I could have uh, Facebook bucks um, and I'd pay you that way. So there's the buy-in factor. Um, how do you um, exchange a dollar to whatever Facebook Zucker, uh, Zuckerand, the Zucker dollar, whatever you want to call it is? But um, these are the other complexities that are going to arise, right? If um, if if the Facebook lira um, is going to become a currency, how do we control governance around that? How do we also ensure that we don't? Um, well, that El Chapo isn't using it to launder his money. Um, so 
there's other controls and regulatory aspects that we need to look into it. Um, when we, um, w when uh, mobile companies or software companies are going to be launching um, cryptocurrencies. OTT stands for over-the-top um, services and uh, media companies are Time Warner, SABC, Warner Brothers and Netflix. So we talk about the next, how Netflix killed um, the video cassette. Um, it's quite a lot of young people in your video cassette was a press play. So Netflix didn't just start by boom, we're on the internet. Um, you would rent your DVD by going onto the online portal and it would get delivered to you. You'd watch it, you'd have it for three to five days, depending on whatever subscription you had, and then you'd drop it off in a red box and then they'd collect it and recycle it. Afterwards, they merged or got the um, te shared technology from telco operators, used their data center. So remember a couple of slides back, I spoke about cloud. They used the cloud and they started offering streaming services. So they would partner with the telco and say, we've got the streaming service where we are going to be streaming videos. We obviously would like to guarantee our customers that have a better throughput so they could watch these movies. But what Netflix has done is they've continued to improve on their business model. Where they were streaming video, they now moved into content creation and content delivery. So it's not just about streaming anymore, but if you want to be that pivot point or you want to be the central point where everyone's going to connect to you, you need to be able to give them something. So content is key. Connectivity makes content available to everybody. So I hope you can see the correlation between content and the telco provider. One of the largest uh, mergers happened about uh, 18 months ago, or just over 18 months ago, which was AT&T, the largest uh, telco operator in, in the US, merging with Time Warner. And Time Warner owns all of these brands, so that's CNN, HBO. But um, Time Warner is not as successful as they thought it would be, because Time Warner came out, um, um, sorry, AT&T came up with the specific um, target, um, which is Netflix. Uh, we've got Netflix in our sites, and if we bring a production company into our, our place, and all of a sudden we are the content creator and content distributor. Um, but that's not what happened. You cannot have a telco mindset when you take over a media company. So you still need to let the media company operate like a media company. They need to understand how to build content and distribute it. All you are is a pipe where they can access all the information. So right now it's not reaping um, the, uh, um, um, the revenue that they thought they would, but I would anticipate that this would improve significantly over the next, uh, over the next two years at least. Digital and I, uh, IoT, I'm going I'm to pause right, right here and I just want to explain what um, um, a lot of organizations and perhaps the companies that you work for talk about um, uh, how are we going to digitize our organization. As an old man, when we came out, digitization was moving everything onto a web page. And that was, hey, now we've got a web page. The next phase of that, or, or, or um, the next cycle, was having access via your mobile phone. But um, the internet has changed so much, right? 
not only has it changed in the way that we communicate with each other, but it also changed the way that organizations um, communicate with their customers, broadly speaking. So the next few slides are going to break out, and I'm going to spend just a little bit of time on each one um, as it blows up. So um, cloud, 5G, and now IoT. So the Internet of Things still requires that neural network um, for information to be passed across uh, between multiple devices and organizations, right? So if we had to focus on the Internet of Things, um, specifically, well, on, on this slide here for um, smart cities and smart homes, I have the ability to connect devices, which means I can be away from home, but I can still um, dial into my video camera at home, I can uh, turn on my oven, I can change the temperature of my fridge, I can operate my lights, or whatever the case may be. The telco um, is a significant component of that ecosystem. It's also a significant ecosystem in the way that we communicate with our customers. So as corporate entities like yourselves need to um, 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 communicate with your customers, um, and this is the bad part of a telco, no one has as much data about you than your, um, than your telco operator, your mobile operator. So what happens is they have information about you and they are able to share it with uh, corporate entities and from there they, you are able to get a better experience uh, or able to deliver better experience to your end consumer. But it's also the components or the devices that a um, consumer would buy um, that allows them to have a better connected experience. I think it will make a bit more sense if I talk about um, um, the manufacturing uh, later on. So IoT, um, one of the use cases specifically from smart cities kind of linked on to, to, to surveillance is um, um, how we use um, video analytics um, and image recognition uh, to understand what a situation or what kind of situation is happening. So one of the use cases that we've um, developed and we've tried to um, um, speak to, to our local um, government about it is um, the smart cameras that are already on the um, I don't know if you guys seen the art installations across the highway, they're called ETOLs and they have light blue, uh, blue lights. So they've got, <laughs> thanks for laughing, um, they've got uh, um, very sophisticated cameras that aren't doing much. All they're doing at the moment is taking photos, but we could do so much with it, right? Um, if I had to look, pick kind of, um, use an example, and it's a, it, it's, it's, um, it's unfortunate an example that a lot of South Africans are used to. Cash and transit heists are a reality. Um, but what we are able to do using the smart cameras on top of ETOLs and also the throughput of traffic in congested areas like Santon, we'll be able to um, manipulate traffic to ensure that when a cash delivery vehicle is traveling, it's traveling in a secure path where there are always um, police vehicles or security companies in the area that are able to respond should anything go down. Um, so these are real world scenarios um, and use cases where devices, in devices that are connected where there's big data, where there's subject matter experts such as yourselves that are able to put cognitant, uh, uh, cognitive um, into, uh, uh, capability on top of it, have scenarios play out um, that could benefit the lives and in fact maybe even save lives. On the manufacturing industry, on, the, um, on manufacturing, I, for me this is a, a, um, 
um, it's a personal thing, right? So for, 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 for decades, we were using scary equipment to understand um, the, the quality of, of um, um, products that we're developing. So we would have scary equipment, um, lasers that would go out and check whether a bottle is screwed on properly. Um, we'd be able to understand what the throughput on a, um, on a production line would be and how it would impact supply chain, right? So on my uh, demand side coming from my customers, but also on my production side on the raw material that needs to go out to meet that demand. Um, IoT, um, if we had to lift up and look at the manufacturing process uh, on, a macro, on a macro scale, understanding what raw material is and what an end product would be means that we are able to determine what our profitability is on an end product um, uh, potential is. So there's, um, if we had to look at data like this, we understand that we can use data in um, um, more advanced ways than what we traditionally are used to doing. We understand the retail one actually gave a very nice experience. Um, so one of the use cases that uh, IBM has, has um, used to have with uh, Macy's in the States was um, you'd walk into a Macy's store in New York, for example. Um, they'd encourage you to turn on Bluetooth. Um, once you um, have your Bluetooth activated, they'll be able to understand where you are in the store. If I'm walking past the Levi's um, section, it will push an offer towards, uh, to me and say, Levi's are on sale for, um, well, 15%. In my scenario, I take the Levi's and walk towards, uh, walk towards a, um, um, to, to the point of sale. When they scan my point of sale, they'll see that I've taken the, um, um, the promotion on Levi's and will give me another promotion. And if you come back in the next um, two days, you'll be able to get a discount on your next T-shirt. Or if you want to purchase something else now, we'll give you a 75% voucher or whatever the case may be. So that's um, an intrusive, yes. Um, um, but it's also a helpful um, way of using uh, data and analytics. Um, healthcare and education, right? Um, it's, I think it's important for um, us as South Africans um, to ensure that the way that we use um, technology, specifically the telco network, um, IoT devices that sit on top of it, is to benefit those around us, right? Um, they, um, there are a lot of use cases. In fact, um, in Mobile World Conference in February earlier this year, there was a, um, an operation that was completed um, via remote. Well, it wasn't remote, but what was happening is a surgeon was sitting in Barcelona and the patient and was in theater in Sweden. And the, on stage, the surgeon in Barcelona was making incisions and it was being acted out real time on the patient in Sweden. So the, we are able to deliver healthcare on top of a network in areas that we wouldn't been able to get to before. So consider an outbreak of cholera or, um, or any disease in, in a rural area. If they have access to, to the internet, we could have surgeons on the background that would be able to do a diagnosis um, over, the, um, over the air. And I think that's the value um, that I'm most interested in seeing. Um, so how does it all stitch together, right? So these are the neurons that I spoke about. And the telco is not just a dump pipe where it takes all of this information. 
um, and puts it in a house somewhere so geniuses like yourselves can operate on it. What we want is to give access to the information to everyone and um, neurons eventually connect to a big brain and uh, I'd like to end off by saying I anticipate um, that the data science community would be able to be the big brain um, that would be able to leverage the telco network as well as the big data that um, the telco allows you to have access to. Thank you. There's only two question marks, so that's two questions. Thank you for a great presentation. Um, also, a nice way to think of those gantries uh, for the future. I'm definitely going to hold on to that one. Um, just thinking about your example of people sitting with multiple phones and multiple wallets, that's not a great customer experience. And if I think about how Netflix got started, it was, was because the founder of Netflix was really annoyed the fact people, you know, that he personally had to pay late fees. Yeah, $10. Yeah. yeah. If, yeah and that whole thing around, does it work for the customer, does it work for the customer, is, you know, it, it's got to be central to organizations that want to succeed. And what I'm thinking, is, and what I'm wondering about is, if you have a telco that is in so intrinsically linked with all of its financial services, you know, one, is it a good customer experience, because now you have to have multiple wallets, and you know, I only have one in my pocket, I don't naturally want to carry two. Um, but at the same time, are the regulators and competition authorities going to start to intervene at some point? Because they say, you are too vertically integrated on something that is too critical, and we're going to break you up. Is that something which, I don't know, not, it, it's not data science specifically, but no. just looking at, at how does this all play out? Um, so um, just, to, just on that fact, it's... The multiple phones per person is across multiple networks. So they'd have a, uh, in Nigeria, for instance, they would have a, an empty and, and an Etisalat phone and an Airtel phone. Right? So they'd be across three different um, um, uh, mobile operators. Um, regulators, governance, and government, unfortunately. That's where the control mechanisms would, uh, um, would need to come from. Um, if I could perhaps uh, have a statement. And the statement would be that maybe the way that banking uh, traditionally works is not suitable for banking in Africa. And I think that's, if, we, if our perspective is that we want to give access to financial or get, bring those that are financially excluded into the ecosystem, we cannot dictate to them the parameters in which they need to operate in. The only reason, however many years ago, I created, I opened up a bank account is because no one wanted to pay me in cash, right? So um, it had to go via um, 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 a, a bank. And, and I think it's the regula uh, regulatory, the banking industry that needs to create those um, 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 controls. But I don't think that banks should do it on their own. And I think they should be including telcos because it's a channel that banks, Standard Bank a couple of years ago tried to launch mobile banking with a partnership with MTN and it failed. And so did M uh, Vodacom fail in bringing M-Pesa into South Africa because they still had the mindset of a traditional bank, not the mindset of the community that we're trying to get involved 
is not our traditional investors. It's people that don't want to spend 20 rand um, moving 50 bucks across. Right? So the cost of, movement, uh, cost of moving money needed to decrease. And I think that's the control mechanisms that they put in place. Are there any other questions? So um, while you guys are thinking about that, um, the question I would have is specifically around um, the testing around radi radiation based on 5G. Do you have any further insights on that? Um, Given that I live close to Sanson, it's a concern. <laughs> Um, I, I have an article, actually, and I shall mail you the link to that article. But a, um, a German healthcare organization has done significant studies on what the MIMO antenna um, radiation would do. So it's um, the frequency um, that uh, 5G would operate in may not be radiation, but it has interference, and the interference could be um, anything from eyesight, so affecting your eyesight in bright light, um, all the way through to um, yeah, impacting um, um, uh, pacemakers. Um, but it's not conclusive, right? Uh, because in order for you to test it, you need to actually have 5G antennas, and they're not cheap. So, I mean, but I will mail you the article. Thank you, because I mean, if you think about the increase in oncology, claims that is occurring already in South Africa, and I think there's been um, continuous concern around that. For the broader population, that would be something that they're concerned about, but also then um, long-term exposure would be something that as citizens we would need to understand. Um, I don't mean to be funny in, in my response, but it is a joke. I would see um, that we need to have a happy medium on the way that we adopt technology and the way that we move into our traditional way of living. So the human does not need a phone to live, right? Um, the human needs um, access to, 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 to basic uh, amenities, so food, water, living space, security. Um, we need to find that happy medium. And I think that when it comes to um, New technology, specifically 5G, it's, it's again, telcos need to be a little bit more open in the way that they're testing um, um, technology. And they should not be doing it in isolation and then marketing it afterwards and what the benefit would be. I think what they should be doing is allowing the open um, community, so citizens, um, should be aware of what they're doing um, and we should be able to track the way that they are going to be deploying new technologies. Um, that's, so that's big data, right? Open big data governance. Thank you. Any other questions? Okay. Thank you so much for a very interesting um, presentation. I, um, I really appreciate your time. Um, I found it very insightful and um, hopefully we will be able to find a balance between creating social good through, through the use of these technologies, um, creating access to education, social security benefits, banking the unbanked, but then of course ensuring that we don't try and fit a very rigid regime to try and um, apply that for um, a situation that doesn't exist. So again, going back to the Netflix example, um, a specific problem was tried to be solved. 
and within that a solution was derived. So I see a lot of interesting work for us going forward and, um, and hopefully we can ensure that we don't have to start wearing ga gamma ray suits in the future. <laughs> Thank you so much.